0: i like you to open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 tonight. 2 Peter chapter 1. There are not many things in life that we can be sure of that are positive. In fact, most things, if you think about it in this world, that we can be sure of are negative and uh, painful. But as we look to eternity and the world to come... The book of 2 Peter tells us that there is something very positive, very good that we can be sure of, and that is our ability to spend eternity in heaven with our Father. I want us to look at this section this evening for just a few minutes from Second Peter chapter 1, and I want us to note what Peter says about how we can be sure as he talks about the sure way to heaven. We're going to begin looking in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. We're going out of order a little bit. We're looking at the entire section that begins in verse 5 and goes through verse number 11 this evening. But we're going to start in verse number 9. I want you to read with me. Peter says, But he who lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I want you to focus with me on the last part of that passage, purged from his old sins. This is the part of the context, the only part of the context, that looks backward, looks back in the past. And what it tells us is that going to heaven begins by doing what Peter says in this verse, and that is it's a process that begins by first being purged or cleansed from our sins. And if you'll go back with me to the book of 1 Peter... Um There are some passages in First Peter where Peter tells us exactly how we do that. I want you to notice with me in First Peter chapter one, verses 18 and 19, that Peter says that it is necessary for us to be redeemed from our sin. Peter says in First 1 Peter 1:18, 1, "For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, Received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and your hope might be in God. Redemption is one of those Bible words that is, of course, very rich in its meaning, and It is a word that uh, has uh, a great deal of information in the Old Testament. Of course, we remember the sacrifices and the Levitical priesthood, those that we read about in the book of Leviticus, and we are mindful of the passage in Hebrews chapter 9 where the Bible tells us that there can be no redemption or no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. We're also mindful of redemption in the process under the law of Moses where a person could go and could buy someone back out of slavery or buy someone back out of servitude. A property might be redeemed and that is the definition of the word. The idea is to be bought back and what the Bible tells us is that those who commit sin become servants of sin and it took the blood of Jesus Christ to buy us back from that servitude and that's what Peter is describing in 1 Peter chapter one and verse eighteen and, and following, the redemption that is made possible by the blood of Christ. See also Ephesians chapter one and verse seven. But Peter also tells us in 1 Peter chapter one and verse twenty-two, he talks to us about purification of redemption in verse eighteen and nineteen. In verse twenty-two, Peter says, "Seeing you have purified your souls." In obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Purification or cleansing, forgiveness, these words are all synonymous and interchangeable. And you notice that Peter identifies the way in which our souls are purified in this passage. He says the way that our souls are purified is through our obedience to the truth. So we have redemption, that which is made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have purification by obeying the truth. That's describing our response, our obedience to the gospel. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, a passage that you'll know well, I'm sure, Peter tells us that the way that we are cleansed from our sins is to receive the answer of a good conscience. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, Peter's describing baptism. And he says, "The like figure, whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ." The American Standard Version in this passage, it translates the, uh, it, it translates it as not the answer of a good conscience, but the interrogation of a good conscience. The idea is the appeal of a good conscience. And so the point, of course, is that baptism is not a, uh, a cleansing of the flesh where we wash the dirt off of our bodies, but rather it is an appeal or a request of God for a clear conscience. It is in reference to the forgiveness of sins that comes as a result of submitting to baptism. And so we have 1 Peter 1.18, which talks about the redemption that is provided by Jesus First Peter 1 Peter 1:22 which describes our response and 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 which further describes our response. So going back to 2 Peter chapter 1 then, Peter says in verse number 9, he talks about this action that happens in the that that happened in the past. He's pointing back to the time in which they were purged from their sins. He's simply talking about the occasion in which they obeyed the gospel. And that's where it all begins. Heaven is not possible. The hope of heaven is not a reality for a person who has not obeyed the gospel and whose sins have not been cleansed. But now let's look at the broader context beginning in verse 5. What Peter describes here is the adding of the Christian graces, the adding of the Christian graces, excuse me, Let's work through them together. Peter says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, uh, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, or love. Peter is using terminology in this context that that indicates that What he is describing is really what we might call a grand symphony. It is the idea of all of the different instruments that are working or playing together in unison to produce a beautiful sound. So the Christian, when he applies all of these graces or these characteristics to his life, all of them work together and they produce within that Christian what is a beautiful life. So what are the graces or the characteristics? He begins by describing virtue, and virtue has to do with moral excellence, with striving to live a life of holiness, as Peter described in 1 Peter chapter 1, quoting from the book of Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 through 46, Be holy as I am holy. The idea is striving to be like God in every way that we can. He says we are to have this moral excellence. We're to strive for virtue. But second, he says you're supposed to add to that, you're to add to that knowledge. Knowledge, of course, seems easy to define on the surface. It's just knowing something. But there is a slight subtlety in the word that Peter uses that takes it just a little further. It's not just the collection of facts that Peter has in mind, but rather it is the ability to determine and to distinguish truth from error. The ability to determine and to distinguish truth from error. We see an example of this in a negative way in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. The Apostle Paul talks about his brethren according to the flesh, the Jews, and he Describes his desire for them to be saved in verse number 1 and listen to what he says in verse 2 and 3. He says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but it is not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. What's happening in Romans 10, verses 1 through 3? Paul is describing people who are trying to be right with God on their own terms. These are people who know things, they know facts, they know information even about God, but they have not, it seems, the ability to determine truth from error. They have not, it seems, the ability to distinguish coming to God on their terms versus coming to God on His. We see this in the Old Testament as well. You remember the famous passage, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, where God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our inability to determine what's right and what's wrong, that's the idea, will lead to our downfall, to our ruin eventually. So Peter says we have to grow in our knowledge, our ability to distinguish truth from error. The third item in this list of Second Peter chapter 1 and the Christian graces is self-control. Add to your faith virtue or moral excellence. Add to your virtue or moral excellence your knowledge, your ability to determine between right and wrong, and add to your knowledge temperance or literally self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, you may remember that the Apostle Paul described the action of self-control in his own life. When he described the fact that he He buffeted or he disciplined his body daily, he says. I keep my body under subjection, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself might become a castaway. So many things that are implied in that passage. One of them is that there is, even if it's small, there is always the potential that you and I might lose our way and might find ourselves going away from God instead of toward him. The Apostle Paul recognized that as a real possibility, again, even if it's small, in his own life. How much more should we? But something else that is implied in that passage, of course, is the idea of self-control. Controlling your mind, controlling your thoughts. Second Corinthians chapter uh, Ten verses one through five. The Bible talks about the power of the gospel bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ. Controlling our tongues, read James chapter three, controlling our temper, another uh, area in which sometimes we struggle. But Peter says this is an area in which we need to in which we need to grow and in which we need to excel. Uh, self- control. The fourth item in this list is similar to self-control. It's connected, really, and it is patience. Add to knowledge temperance or self-control and to temperance, patience. The Bible uses the word patience. It's describing literally the ability to bear under something. To hold up a, a weight on your shoulder is the idea. It is also... Uh, sometimes the word is also used, steadfastness. I want you to listen to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9. Paul says, as he describes the law of sowing and reaping in verse 7 and 8, he says in verse number 9, "...let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not." It really is a passage that has to do with patience or perseverance or steadfastness. It's looking forward to what he describes as the due season. When is the due season going to come? Well, it's impossible to know, but we know that it'll come. That's the idea, and so that's the hope that keeps us moving forward. How about Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12? In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, The writer of this passage, again, speaks about patience. He's talking about the fact that God, verse number 10, is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you showed toward his name and that you've ministered to the saints and you do minister. In other words, God sees and God knows and he hasn't forgotten about you, so don't give up hope. That's the idea. And then in verse 11, he says, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence, of, uh, same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. He, the, the emphasis is be patient, be steadfast, bear under the weight of your burdens, and God will reward you. Peter also mentions in this list, he mentions godliness, which literally has to do with Piety. Godliness or piety, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 speaks of godliness and piety and our responsibility in serving God. He talks also about brotherly kindness, as does Paul in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God uh, 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 through Christ has forgiven you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 also And then he ends this list with love, and uh, Paul describes love or this agape, this putting the best interest of others before your own in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the place in which it is most well known. So we have in verse 5 through 7 again this grand symphony. All of these characteristics are working together, and when they all work together, then they Uh, they produce a beautiful, faithful, godly life. But I want you to notice, going back up to verse number 5, that this is something that is going to be ongoing. Peter says, give all diligence to add to your faith. And then he goes on and lists. And the grammar suggests that this is an ongoing practice. It's a lifetime proposition. We'll always be working to improve in these areas. But now, pick up in verse number 8, and let's see what he says throughout, uh, th- uh, through verse number 11. He tells us, first of all, as he describes uh, spiritual vision, he says, if these things are in you, and the emphasis there is, if they are a permanent possession... And they abound, then they will make you that you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you lack these things, you're blind and you cannot see afar off and you have forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. This language is similar to what we looked at this morning from Matthew chapter 13. He is drawing a contrast between two kinds of Christians really. There's the kind of Christian who is striving daily to add these characteristics to his character, and then there's the kind of Christian who's not paying any attention to these things at all. And he says, if you're not paying any attention to these things at all, then verse number nine, you are spiritually blind, and it is as if you have forgotten even You have forgotten even the fact that Christ died for your sins and that you obeyed the gospel for the purpose of having your sins forgiven. In other words, if we're not adding the Christian graces to our lives, then we fall under the condemnation of verse number 9. But on the other hand, if we are, then we fall under the blessing of verse number 8 will not be barren, will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're growing on a regular basis. And then look at verse 10 and 11. Here's the result. Here's where it's all going. For this reason, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. Notice the language. Peter is not describing a possibility, or a subge- or a suggestion. Peter is describing certainty. If you do these things, you will never fall. Well, what things is he talking about? Contextually, he's pointing back to the Christian graces of verse five, six, and seven, and then uh, eight as well. If you are striving to make your calling and election sure. If you are working to grow in these areas, then he says, you will never fall. And verse number 11, for so an entrance will be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the end result of a life that is spent trying to add to our faith virtue and to our virtue knowledge and to our knowledge temperance into temperance patience into patience godliness into godliness brotherly kindness into brotherly kindness charity? What's the end result of that? In life it's confidence, verse number ten, making our calling and election sure. In eternity it's salvation, verse number eleven. It is a home with the Father in heaven. So there are not many things in this world that are sure, that we can be confident in, that are of a positive nature. But in eternity, we have something to look forward to that is uh, greater than anything that we can imagine. And Peter says we can be sure of that. We can be sure of that reality and of our uh, ability to participate in that reality if we're seeing to these Characteristics and these graces in verse 5, 6, and 7. If those things make up our life and they produce within us a beautiful grand symphony of Christian living. The invitation is going to be extended this evening. It may be that there's someone here that has a desire to respond. Maybe you're not a Christian and you'd like to become one. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe you are a Christian and as you contemplate your life and these Christian graces that Peter mentions, It has become evident to you that they're not being produced within your life. Well, make a change, and we'd love to help you to do that. If you have a need, come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing together.